We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a over and the summer on its way, we've decided to give you a podcast talking about whatever's on our mind, topics that come up, maybe the transfer window. We'll find something to talk about as we all get through this offseason together. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. I mean, I guess we do have the friendly in Azerbaijan coming up. We can talk about that. Um, wait, hang on. It's coming. What It says here, cup final. Wait, what cup? Oh my God, we're in a European final. Okay. Uh, I guess we'll talk about that then. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. This news is just reaching me. I, the season was over. I was sat on my back deck, having a drink, looking at the sun, listening to the birds. There's a football match, a bona fide European Cup final, still to be played, and it's tomorrow. Did you know that? Mm, I did know that. Yeah, it's crazy. It is, it is the match of the decade. You know what's interesting is that, as far as I'm aware, it is the final match of the of the football season. That there is no football to be played beyond the match in Baku uh, by any teams of any relevance or consequence. So that's I good. Game, I built this game up in my mind, mate. This is this it's, is it's uh, let me, this let me, is this is big. Let me ask you something. I mean, right off the bat. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the game. We'll do a little pre-match bit here. Scott's going to be on down the line uh, with his own sort of stats segment to just give you the stats breakdown of the the matchup and what to expect. Um, you know, beyond all this brilliant qualitative analysis, we're going to give you. But uh, I also want to talk a little bit. We'll talk about Emery's press conference. We'll talk a little bit about some things happening in the wider world of football that could have relevance for Arsenal. Um, and not in a good way because that's how the wider world of football works. But I wanted to get your first take on this, Clive, just what you think the impact could be of the layoff. I mean, it's a long layoff, 
between competitive games. Chelsea went and played in the United States to catastrophic consequences, quite hilariously, but not for poor Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, right? Yep, that's the one. They both, they're both they both yeah. <laughs> as it turns out, for different reasons. Yeah. Um, but but so, you know, we, we played behind closed doors, friendly, that Danny Welbeck dominated, as, as of course he did. Like, in terms of the, the time off, do you think it affects one team more than the other? How do you think it impacts the competitive levels of the game that we're going to have? I think you can flip into holiday mode quite quickly. I think it's going to hurt Chelsea a little bit more than us. I think um, because as a club, they've they've achieved their target. Their target was to qualify for Champions League, and they did it. And so, and we've got our targets to achieve. So our concentration levels should be higher. We've got much more to to gain from this game. So when you know you've achieved your targets and you've got your Champions League bonus already stacked in your bank, um, it's going to be hard for you to maintain those levels of concentration. Right. So I I do think it's going to hurt them a little bit more. They've got more time to think about why are they not on holiday. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Of but course. a final a final is a final, and. Um, Okay, Chelsea have won this one before, and some of those players have won it before, but a final is a final, and um, players will switch on for it. But I think it's going to hurt them. I think it might, it will hurt us also, but we have got uh, a group of defenders, or a couple of defenders, average age 106. I think it'll give them, <laughs> I think it'll give them time to, uh, to let the deep heat settle on those bones. And I think that, that'll be useful, because those players were really... L- really limping towards the end of the season. Mm. I think I think Shaka's another one that's been carrying something because he's been sort of you know, limping. And Torreira, another one who's sort of on the edge. And I think we'll benefit from those guys probably being a little bit fresher, ho- yeah. hopefully, for the big game. Yeah, I mean, I think Shaka may have had like a little tightness or maybe just a little inflammation in the um, brain. And uh, maybe, maybe that's settled down. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, the one thing that does worry me, all kidding aside, we have relatively recent data on Arsenal playing after a long layoff. We had that big layoff at the end of March. Yeah, Didn't we work to, out we so well to Dubai. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've never done that. I can't remember how many times we've ever gone away in mid-season. I'm thinking, oh, great. This is going to be good. We're going to get a whole new level of freshness. It didn't seem to happen, did it? We sort of like dropped away. We did get a whole new level. <laughs> it was just a bad level. We, we, the level went down. Yeah, I mean, so... Obviously, they, they, there's no need to analogize what happened at the end of March with what happened, uh, what hap- what's happening now. I think the other thing that coincided weirdly with that March layoff is we actually came back from it having lost quite a few players. Um, we yeah. picked up a lot yeah. of injuries uh, sort of contemporaneous to that layoff. So that makes that a little bit different. You touched on pressure. Let's talk about how that impacts these teams. So we do have all the pressure. Having not won a European final um, in, you know, more than 20 years and having uh, not been in one since 2005 and uh, 2006 season and uh, pardon me, 2004, 2005 season in Paris, obviously. Oh, 2006. Five, six, yeah, I was right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I had it right the first time. Never second guess myself because I'm always right. Uh, <laughs> right. Yep. Um, not, not necessarily a memory we want to uh, keep in our minds, but, and then, you know, we obviously have the weight of the expectations of that. We have the, the desire to qualify for the champions league. Chelsea have, you know, quite unfortunately won a Champions League. Uh, you have some very experienced players there and they have qualified for top four, as you said. So you could argue that there's no pressure on them. There's plenty of pressure on Sari, who may feel that he uh, has one game to save his Chelsea career if it's even salvageable. 
because hilariously they're considering Frank Lampard apparently. So like for you, who do you think has the the weight of the pressure and how do you think that will in, impact the performance? I think Emery has more pressure for certain. I think he knows his target still to achieve. Sari's main target is he's never, he's never actually won a trophy. So he'll be focused on winning something. But there are rumours of him potentially going to Juventus. So, and I don't think he's going to cry himself to sleep if he, if Chelsea decide to let him go, or um, or or will Juventus pay his release fee? Which I'm not so sure they will do that. Right? So, and it'll be a big departure going for someone like Sari versus someone like Allegri, when the playing styles are massively different. So, that will be interesting. I think Sari's reputation in Italy has not has not fallen due to his time in England and I'm not so sure how much he's in love with England but and I'm certainly not sure how much Chelsea fans are in love with him I said before that day at Cardiff was a pivotal day they were they were one nil down five minutes to go and they were calling for his head and it and it turned around so it's a very tenuous love at the moment because they got to Champions League if they lose this game I think I think a lot of people will just say let's let's go for a change and Obviously, the golden boy, Frank, is sitting there ready and waiting with his nice, shiny white shirt ready to be on the sideline. So um, we'll see what happens there for Emery. It's critical. Um, his statement this week about winning to build, I think, was really interesting. Um, for the first time, he feels like he's got, he's got an opportunity to build something. That looks good on print, but let me tell you, a lot of people will think if you don't win this one, your time to build is going to be reduced. Right, so maybe within the club, there's a lovely feeling of we want to give you time to be some, you know, do something un- without the pressure of having to win. But that's a question in itself. You know, is the atmosphere at Arsenal the right sort of atmosphere where you have to win? I think Peter Cech spoke about this today. Also, I think I think the pressure is on Emery hugely to deliver. But I think the way he's prepared for this game, and the way he prepared Arsenal for his game, has a level of seriousness, and I think. Um, I think we're going to be all right, Elliot. I really do. Do you think that his experience in the final of this competition is a big uh, benefit to him and to us in this particular game? I mean, obviously, he's won this thing three times. And, you know, that experience of of being in this final, the timing of when it occurs, the preparation for the one-off big game, is sort of all understanding all the intricacies of, of the day and how it goes and preparation for it. I mean, do you feel that that experience, this is where that can really pay off? I do. I think maybe something that we didn't even suspect. I mean, you know, people debate if Arsenal have improved this season or not. Um, But for a lot of the top six games, we have looked better. For a lot of the European knockout games, we have looked better. And we seem to have managed these moments quite well. And there's been a a level of focus and, and hunger. And it's not a coincidence. You know, it's not a coincidence. That's down to... You know, an increased level of competitiveness. I, I do think I've got more confidence in in the club and the team producing in big moments. Okay, we can't quite manage to sit in Liverpool's. We can't quite do that, but um, particularly away from home yet. But we you know Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester United. We are right there with them. We know we haven't. We we look distance to them at, at points last season, but we're right there with them. And I I think we go into this game very much fifty fifty from a form book perspective, but from a need perspective, I, I I think and the way we approach these games with the detail, 
I'm really, really hopeful and positive we're going to come out the right side. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm quite hopeful myself. So, all right, well, let's get into some of the tactical battles here. And we, we did talk about this a little on the previous podcast and did some predictions and lineup predictions. But, you know, we, we have played Chelsea pretty well this season. I thought we had an interesting first half at Stamford Bridge before we kind of called off the dogs, sat back, and, and unfortunately lost uh, that game, second game of the season. But we yeah. handled them pretty confidently and comfortably, I thought, in the 2-0 win at home. Uh, in was it March, February, maybe February? I'm not sure. So, yeah, yeah, right I then. so um, I mean, for you, what are the key tactical battles? I mean, obviously, the player for them that you really look for is Eden Hazard. That's a major question how we handle him, and it's going to be a big issue for Maitland Niles. And whether we're in a back three or back four, Maitland Niles and, and one of the center backs, do you think that there's going to be a specific plan for, for handling Eden Hazard? Uh, I, I think you may see Torreira sit on the right side of a of that too, with um you know with Shaka the left side, and I think so you think he, definitely a back three with those two. I, I do, and I'll tell you why, Elia. And I've thought about this, and I've seen obviously there's the everyone's look at the home league game where we you know we compress them into their half, and we went for a diamond, and we used Ramsey to cut off passing lanes, right? And it worked really really well, and we then sprung on the counter down the sides and to our two forwards who are excellent. And I and I just think sometimes when you go to finals as a even though a manager that has consistently changed his system, for the big games for a while now, he's gone with three at the back. And so he has a big game structure and a big game approach. If he was to change that and go for a diamond without the key player in Ramsey who you know, who he knows can do that job and repeat it and probably would repeat it if he was fit. He's gone with Ozil behind the front two. It gives the front three room to recycle in into that role. And Lacazette and Yang also drop deep when Ozil's having a cigarette on the sideline, right? So I think... I think he's going to go with the back three just for a little bit of stability. The players know their roles in that in that setup. Mm-hmm. They know how to deliver, and they have confidence that system has delivered for them versus Rennes, versus Napoli, versus Valencia, and all those games. They he used that system, and it worked. It worked at home and away. He used it, and I think he'll continue it just for that sense of continuity. And within the system, it's going to be okay. What do I? What do I see? What do I see as Chelsea's weakness? And and everyone's talking about Jorginho, but shall I tell you what, mate? Who I'm looking at is their two fullbacks, right? How we can split between fullbacks and centre halves on both sides and really work their fullbacks and their fullbacks. They're not really fullbacks. Aspilicueta is really a right-sided centre-half, and that's his best position. And Alonso is a left is a left wing-back. Do you think they'll go and with so, Emerson, who they who they used in their semi-final against Well, Frankfurt? that's a good point. I, I don't think they will. I, I can't see it, but it's a, it's a good point. Um, I, I can't see it. I just don't feel they will make that change. And I'm not sure. No, I haven't had a good look at Emerson. I, I see him as a quite similar to Kennedy in some ways, and not just appearance, but a bit more of a, a technical running fullback that crosses rather than Alonso, who's really a striding fullback, an underlap diagonally into the box, has got a huge box presence with his height and physicality. So can't defend to on, save his life. <laughs> can't defend to save his life. And so, Elliot, I do feel this is the channel, that right-hand channel, Aubameyang, 
in between uh, David, you know, David, Lu- sorry, Rudiger and David Luiz, that right hand side, Alonso. I think that's our angle to really get at them. But what they're going to do, they're going to work, Abamian's going to naturally work back to double up with Hazard. So ha- can he do the work rate to also be our most dangerous forward in that right hand channel? Uh, I think it's going to be really key, that right hand side. But it's going to be wing backs versus death their fullbacks and how we can be brave enough to say to Maitland-Niles you go we can handle Hazard if he drops in but we've got to make sure that if, if Maitland-Niles does go as a right wing back we give him the overload opportunities and we really play him in we don't have our wing backs going up and just spectating right so I think it's very important that we select our runs so I'm looking at their two fullbacks and thinking that's where we get in do you remember the home game earlier when we had all those um Crossbacks and cutbacks, Cut and how backs, we yep. got in on, on their fullbacks so easily. Uh, do, do you mean the, the game at Stanford Bridge, actually? Because I, I sorry, think, mate. Yeah. Yes, that's the yeah, game yeah. I meant. Yeah, and and Bellerin I, was a really big part of that. So there's a lot of responsibility on Maitland Niles because if it is Shaka Torreira, Shaka prefers to spray the ball out to his left side, right on his stronger yeah. foot. He prefers yeah. to spray it out to to Kolasinac. We're going to need to be able to get the ball to the right side and access Maitland Niles, who's going to have to really be up and down the wings if if it, if he's playing against Alonso. I totally agree. I think it's very important when you go to a final that you don't just... We all think about Jorginho. We think about Hazard. That's what that's what fans do because we, we watch the game with a little bit of fear, you know, as it builds up to it. But I'm I'm telling you now, I'm thinking they're weak in their fullbacks. Can we get in in those areas early? Direct passes into our wing packs and we drive in and overload on their, on their fullbacks and get the cutbacks that way. I, I think that's the way to, to make them pull out of their shape you need to make Hazard pull out of his shape and say okay I'm not getting the ball because when he doesn't get the ball he goes into the middle if he goes into the middle then we can get him in there in the crowd scene if you allow him to get easy service he gets his confidence up he starts driving he starts accelerating and when he runs it's like he's on a motorbike right so it's very difficult to stop but I do feel if we push into their wide areas and force them to adjust to us that's the way to get on top, and that's the way to create the initiative to get the first goal, which is going mm. to be quick. Let me ask you this, because I think this changes the dynamic a little. Look, we're we're not a team that imposes ourselves on the opposition, even in the best of times. We, we aren't the possession team we once were. And even in the home game, where we went with the back four and essentially had four midfielders, we still had 35% possession. Uh, now, some of that yeah. is going to be game state, right? Because we, we got a 1-0 lead early, a 2-0 lead early enough and and they had to chase the game and we could sit back a little but if they can't play with Conte and it looks increasingly like Conte can't play they look very soft in midfield with Jorginho Kovacic and Barkley if that's in fact how they go but I see a different challenge that Kovacic coming in for Conte gives them even more control in midfield and that we're going to really struggle to maintain possession or to get the ball off them in midfield how do you think we counter the fact that they could be looking at, again, another game of 65, pushing 70% possession. And the fact that sometimes when we played the back three in those kinds of games, what I've seen is that the, the departments get disconnected, that our distances become a problem, and that the, the, the strikers find it hard to get into the game, that Ozil is dropping to collect the ball all the way in our half. That's the pattern of play I worry about. Ozil dropping into our half, the strikers you know, 20, 30 yards away from the midfielders, and, and not really being able to get into the game. I think... 
it's a, it's a good point you raise, right? So the disconnect is key. So in all of our big good games, we've been connected to our front two, and even when we haven't, the front two of Belgium. Is that because we're right? winning the ball higher up the pitch? I mean, to me, where we've done well, and sorry, I totally cut across you, but just real quick, no, that's cool. It's it's not that we've built back to front well in big games. I don't think we've done that. But what we've done is shorten the pitch. And, and recovered the ball further up so we don't have to build through midfield and we can create opportunities in transition. See, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Chelsea are going to press us, but I still would like to get the ball into forward areas a, a little bit quicker. Yeah. I, I, I don't think they're great at the back. I don't think... But you just need to make them defend. Your point about, you know, making, you know, losing control in midfield, my only slight doubt to that is Chelsea haven't really got a fast centre forward. So they can't really run in behind. So Pedro comes short, fires shots. If William plays something similar, Hazard doesn't run through lines without the ball. So they're not going to run through us. So if we can keep pressure on the ball, then you know the ball to Hazard is going to go into his feet. Then he starts to go. They do little one-twos, get shots off or crosses into, into larger forwards or diagonals into forwards. So I don't think that we're going to be stretched deep. So I, I think it's important we stay as high as we can to compress the space. I mean, when you're talking about Chelsea and Arsenal, the reason why we're a bit edgy about this game is because we're flawed. We're, we're both flawed. You know, you look at our, our defenders and I say compress the space. It sounds great, doesn't it? Oh, compress the space. But then you're thinking, crikey, Monreal's not that quick. You know, and then you're thinking, Koscielny, two weeks off, he's quite sharp, but not as quick as he used to be. And Socrates will be in that Hazard channel getting ready for his first booking, right? So it's going to be it's going to be challenging to, to keep the play compressed, knowing when to drop off. And then you go into midfield, you think, wow, what have we got in there? You know, Shaka, how mobile is he? Can Torreira do all of the jobs and get across and do Hazard as well? We saw against Valencia, they switched that ball to the right-hand side on the diagonal, and I thought we were weak. Right, so yeah, I was just about to say that. I thought we were weak against Valencia with that too. The long ball into the channels. Yeah, into the right-hand channel, and mm-hmm. I just think, and if you're playing against wingbacks, you, you would go, you would switch it from Chelsea's right to our left and try to get one-on-ones with Maitland-Niles. Now, Maitland-Niles is a tremendous one-on-one defender, but sometimes early in games, it just takes him a while to get up to the speed to work out what he's got to do. He's got the speed and the recovery. He's sharp in the challenge. If he's awake, one-on-one, he's fine. Can he do enough to hold people up to other people get around? Not so sure. Is he experienced enough? Will he dive in? We're just not sure. You know, he's, he's a 21-year-old young man. We're not sure against him playing against that level of player. We're talking top five player in the world, right? So it's going to be a challenge. But I do think we got one player that really needs to play to shape this game. And and I think we... And that's Meza Ozil. I, I do think how he plays and how we play through him is going to be important because no one's talking about him. No one is think he's going to have a great game, but most of us think he's going to play. Well, if he has a great game, we're going to win, right? And he's going to cause them so many problems in behind, <clears throat> around yeah. Georgina, receiving the ball, laying balls through. And he's almost like a, he's almost like our secret but he's our highest paid player and some mostly our biggest problem. But if he plays well, 
this is going to be a breeze. It's cigar times, right? Because he's that good. But we're just not sure. And it comes back to the, the fact that we're both flawed, flawed as teams. Mm. I, I just worry that we have to match them in midfield, man for man. And then that means playing with a back four. And we did that in the home game, and it worked really well. Um, mm. I think the problem is if we give Kovacic and, and Jorginho 10 yards of space, they'll pick us apart. They'll kill us. They'll hold yeah. the ball well, and they'll find those balls into the channels into Hazard and William or Hazard and Pedro running in behind our wing backs. I think they're good on the ball. They're, they're, they've got good passing range, and they're, they're good at keeping possession. I think if we can get in their face and put them under pressure and get the ball off them, they're not going to be as good running back towards their goal. I, I think you can so make an argument. Think- yeah, go ahead. Do you think do you think Diamond Elliot? Do you think four Diamond too? It's what he did in the home game, and it worked really well. But he had so Ramsey at the been, point. Well, be, so this is what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, it would be it would be Torreira at the base. It would be um, Shaka and Ganduzi in, in the middle, or yeah. or you move you know Shaka to the base and let him distribute deep and let Torreira kind of run around a little more. I'm fine with either. But this is what I was going to say. And people who know me are going to say this is – you'd never expect me to say this. I think you could make a very strong argument for using a Wobi at the point of the, of the diamond or even in the 3-4-2 or 3-4-1-2, you could make a strong case for playing a Wobi over Ozil for the simple reason that that player is going to have to press. But what I want is someone who can run beyond or or carry the ball past Jorginho and Kovacic. They're weak. They're weak defensively. Yeah. Can you get someone who's strong, who's physical, who can carry the ball beyond them? And, and create dangerous spaces for Aubameyang and Lacazette to find, you know, in and around the, the central defenders. I don't know what I think Ozil will do here. I do think if we play 3-4-3 or 3-4-1-2, where I worry about Ozil is off the ball. If we play a four-diamond two, you can, you can probably accommodate Ozil more at the tip of the diamond. But Ramsey was probably man of the match in that home game against Chelsea, if I remember correctly. Um <laughs> Or, or was 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 crucial. I I may not be remembering it quite well. That no, role is very very important off good. the ball. It is is important, and I, I do think Rover was. I I think Rover playing it slightly. I think when when Tottenham did it first, and we did it second about a week or two later, everyone said that's it. You know, but they seem to have picked up their results towards the end of the season. Not not massively because all all four of us were rubbish, but no one's talking about it anymore. Right, so, um, but I do think without Kante, without that protection, I do think we have an opportunity. I um, my favourite two formations are the the three at the back or the four diamond two. Um, I think we should develop into those for next season until we can eventually get to the elite four three three formation. Four diamond two, you have your crowd season. I've got, I have got a feeling for Guendouzi. Funny enough, I just feel he's got a real big personality, and I did see a, a clip of the training with. Colosinic with um, his knee bandage, you know, and they were saying he's got a bit of a knock there. And he, you know, if they went back four and they went um, Monreal, then you know you can and see you can leave working. Monreal tucked in a little because you want to attack. Yeah. If Marcus Alonso starts, you're going to want to focus your attacks on that side anyway. So yeah. you know, Mon- Monreal could tuck in just a little, and you could you could try to hit hit the the right side of there, uh, the right side yeah. of our attack, the left side of their defense a little more. Exactly. I mean, either either or, I wouldn't be overly concerned. And I hear your point about Iwobi, and that's again, that's the fear of the fan, the fan coming out, because we're thinking, you know, physically, the way he receives it, his ability to run and really frighten them, run away from Jorginho and really put him under physical pressure, and then create, you know, 
attract people to him with his close dribbling at speed in a central area. It could be great, but Elliot, we've never seen it. No, I know. We've never seen it. And you know what? Um, He can do it as a sub. Ozil can't. That would be one of the things, too. I've never seen Mesut Ozil really influence a game off the subs bench. He's a player for Uh, for the start, not for the the finish. Totally. But you know what? It could happen later in the game. And I think it would be great to see it maybe for the last half an hour because we know Ozil's not going to last. The last half an hour, and Iwobi comes on and we can accelerate the game however the game requires from then on in. And we may need Danny Welbeck. You never know, right? So um, so I'm either or. I'm pretty comfortable. I just – I hear your fear and and I get it. Um, it's just our ability to manage the mobility in those central areas. But then again, we might just say, you know what, we're not going to play through here. We're going to play down the sides. We talked about our wing-backs being real potent weapons that they're going to have to manage. They're going to have to drop in for. And then we can use the spaces that develop from there from there on in. And and Colosinic, when he has rest, is another one that plays very, very well. So... Let's see how we go. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's let's attack a couple different angles of this game that we haven't covered yet. And one of them is the potential eventuality that none of us would like to come to pass, which is a penalty shootout. Uh, I have two questions for you. <laughs> well, three, really. One is, uh, do you have cyanide pills on you and can you share them? But uh, the other questions are, first of all, let's assume check is starting. Fine. We covered it in the last podcast. It's happening. Move on. Um would you use one of your extra time substitutes at the very end of the game to bring on Leno if it's a penalty shootout? Wow. Um, I, I, I don't think you can do that to, to the goalkeeper. I just don't think you could. Just ask, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 who, who was it? Was it, it was Chelsea, right? It was uh, Kepa, yeah, Chelsea, who wouldn't yeah. go off. <laughs> no, goalkeepers don't like that because you're saying you don't trust him. And, I mean, uh, he's an old put, man. He, he's creaky. Do you want a creaky old yeah. guy stopping penalties? Well, if he goes to penalties, we all know he's not saving any. Right? So, yeah, well, I'm not seeing... But, you know, a few years ago... <laughs> He saved penalties to win them the the Champions League. Right? Fair, so, um, fair point, my friend. <laughs> so it's it's a difficult one. Um, so your answer is no. Yeah, you wouldn't do it. My answer is no. Okay. If you if and and Emery said, you know, how can you not trust him? It's what he said. But he also said, I want to do something special for the final. And some people are speculating that he may lead the team out but not play. We just don't know. He's going to play. So um, um, yeah, let's see. Give me this. Who are your penalty takers? Ah, oh, penalty takers. Well, the two forwards for starters, um, Shaka again, Torreira, and Monreal. Really? Yep. It's kind of hard to argue with that. I mean, the scariest thing is, who the hell else could take one? I mean, we're I, not going to go to penalties. Don't fret. Okay. Oh, great. <laughs> You've calmed <laughs> me right fret. down there. All right. So before we move on to a couple other topics we wanted to cover, give me your. Uh, Give me your prediction for the game. Score and maybe who you think will get the goals. I think we'll we'll win 2-1. Um, and it will be a Bamiang, both goals. Wow. Um, how about for them? Who's going to score for them? Um, you know what? That's Sneaky Pedro. Yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a final player. He knows how to play finals. He hits shots early. He's, he has a level of intensity that never changes, 
and he's a great professional. You know, he, players that leave Barcelona normally die, but he's managed to. He was sort of half booted out. He's come over to um, the Premier League, and I think he's really done well. Never moans, in and out. When he plays, he plays hard. When he comes to bench, he plays hard. I've got a good feeling for him, I'm afraid. I'll say 3-2 Arsenal. I say Aubameyang opens the scoring for us. They hit us with two. Koscielny a 90 plus four to equalize. And then um, Lacazette in extra time. <laughs> Yeah, that, no, that's Danny Welbeck. It's got to be Danny yes, Danny Welbeck extra time with his <laughs> with his with his thigh or the, his butt or something. Okay, um, real quick before we stop here, let's let's move on to some other topics that are going on. First of all, just Emery's press conference, and he and and he did uh, an interview that has gotten some attention. I can call out for you some of the things that I'm interested in, but why don't you give me your overall take on on some of the comments Emery has had this week? It was a fantastic insight, right? And um, Andrew did a good little. Um, Trans, you know, translation piece on his site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought it was really good, and and it, and it sort of, you know, my thoughts and around him being a flexible manager and how he wanted the team to be a chameleon, and and I love that, and I and I, it, I just think football's going that way. You're seeing managers now preparing in-game changes many, many times. You know, um, changing systems regularly. All the way down the league. All the way. I watched the Derby Lees playoff game the other day, and Frank Lampard turned to a diamond in the middle of that game and won the game late on with a system change in the game, in the championship, in a playoff semi final. It's happening everywhere. Systems are changing. I know some people want to see a stable base from which to change, but my view is I, I understand that, and I'm not against that. I think when when the right players arrive, I think there'll be a a primary system, but I think there'll be a much easier capability to flip to other systems, and and keep the levels as high, and not use systems in a defensive way to cover weaknesses within your own team. Use systems to confuse opponents and and win games rather than protect games or protect people i'm looking forward to that next year so that was that was quite interesting i mentioned it earlier the fact how he feels respected in england compared to france he he spoke about his attempts to the with the language how they received in france and how they received in england i think that sort of means a lot to him and it's obvious he's got support within the club I say this with a huge caveat. He just needs to win this game. I think it's important for so many reasons that we all that we all know. But I just want the calm opportunity to build something, not go to bargain basement because we haven't got the money. I'd rather us not buy than buy somebody that's half the value of somebody we were going to buy if we qualified for the Champions League but we buy this other player and then we have that player for three years and we don't progress I would rather not buy get to the level that we need to and then buy the right level of player to bring us forward you know and so I think I just want to see the guy have time to build with a little bit of pressure off mm. of him yeah I mean look I didn't love the chameleon comment but I want to be clear I like his flexibility I do think you see some signs of a style that he wants to implement. I think in general, I believe that a good squad that is a top team that can compete for the biggest trophies, 
still has to have its dominant philosophy, its dominant tactical setup that it pivots around and and flexes from in certain games for certain matchups. Uh, you know, and again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know what's best. I have a hard time thinking of too many big teams that are super competitive that don't have a way that they feel most comfortable playing. And maybe we do have that, and I, I kind of haven't really acknowledged it yet, but I think the word chameleon to me maybe just a lost in translation thing. I don't like that because that suggests there is no identity that mm. is primary. And I, I think you have to have that because as a player, I have to believe that you know what you're able to do with practice. You can practice for two things, right? Practice can be for a specific game. Here are some things we want to try to do in this game. But what I think you have to be doing throughout the season is building, not to borrow from Arson, but those, those automatisms that he referenced, but I think the you need muscle memory. You need the things where you're like, I don't even have to look. I know Maitland Niles is 30 yards in front of me and t- hugging the touchline. And if I kick the ball, you know, you need to know with your eyes closed. I, I think I even read that Pep did this. or so One of the managers where he made a guy close his eyes and then name where everyone on the pitch was, you know, and yet you have to kind of know that. And I think if you don't have yeah. a dominant philosophy, you rely on players being very adaptable, very able to understand complex tactical ideas, game in, game out, game in, game out, week in, week out. Now, look, there are players, Cesc Fabregas is one that comes to mind, Mesut Ozil probably one that comes to mind, who are very intelligent, read the game very well, um, who can think in that way tactically. You know, I get the sense that actually Lacazette and Aubameyang both kind of have some of that ability in them, but there are going to be players, Granit Xhaka strikes me as one, who needs a system he's comfortable in, who doesn't have that that tactical flexibility. So, I mean, do you, do you think that you have to get a certain type of player to be able to play with that much um, changing from, from game to game? I think... He did. He did one other line he mentioned earlier. He said, "I want to raise the intensity, yeah. slow, you know, event over time." And I was so pleased to read that because once you have the intensity required to play at the very top level, it makes change easier. But if we just talk about the two formations of three, four, two, one, uh, sorry, three, four, one, two, or the four diamond two, right? The midfield construct. Shaka still at you know still at the base of that midfield. Right? He's still in the same situation. But actually, in, in the diamond, he's got two people left and right rather than having someone just to his right, for example. So, But his role doesn't change massively. We, you have fullbacks. Our fullbacks are like wingbacks anyway. But maybe they will be a little bit more conservative in a four diamond too than it would be in a, in a, with a three at the back system. The centre-halves, they're comfortable going from a two to a three. And it's very difficult to say which one's better for them. Right, depending on who we have available. And so what you have, I keep saying before, you have this interior and you have this exterior. You can almost change the, te- the temperature of your team by how you manipulate the interior of your team. And you can then go to different game states. And I think that's what we meant by chameleon. You can crowd central areas with different systems. And that allows you to pressure your position in, in different ways and also de- build your play in different ways. I, I, I honestly, mate, I tell you now, it's not that difficult for a player because we still got two fours in both systems. We still got a one ten behind 
those two forwards. That doesn't change. So how we score doesn't change. How we exit doesn't massively change. But what it does allow is that interior to manage game states. Now, when we have the intensity that we need, we can go to another level with that. We can now press people off the ball much more aggressively, have far more transition goals and really dominate areas. And when teams change the pace on us, we can recover and we can be better to manage moments of pressure compared to what we did at Leicester and Wolves, for example, where we just did not cope, did not stop balls coming into our box because we couldn't cope with the running power in centre midfield. So mm. I, I hear what you're saying. And I sort of agree with you, Elliot. I think we, but maybe that one system is the three at the back because probably the one we've used the most in recent weeks. But I still don't think he would use that if he had the players that he would really like. And it's going to be so interesting to see what he settles on, whether it's a 4-2-3-1, which some people think that's his system. I'm not convinced by that, by the way. Or will he go to a, a PSG flying V? Or would he go to a four diamond two? I, I'm not sure, but it's, so, it's going to be interesting to see what he does next year. Yeah, yeah. Next year, I think we're going to learn a lot more because, to some extent, you know, whether he gets the players he needs or he doesn't, he's going to have to to he's going to wind up showing us one way or the other what he really prefers to do with this team. And you know, we won't necessarily right now. I think there's a lot of people writing things off as it's his first season. You know, he's mm. trying to fly the plane and and learn you know the parts of the plane all at the same time. We'll see. Um, Let's finish with this because I've just had my mind on this and I, I'm kind of curious. Well, well, two things. So first, Petr Cech made the comment that at Chelsea, you know, defeats hurt more. That even after a draw, the dressing room was, you know, inconsolable and that at Arsenal, maybe it's been a very comfortable situation. And Emery referenced that he wants the defeats to hurt more. He wants to make it a more yeah. competitive place. Also kind of contradictorily, con, con- contradicted himself a bit by saying in my previous jobs, I was trying to avoid getting sacked. You know, I had to win to avoid getting yeah. sacked here. I want to build something for the future. Uh, just curious, pulling that all together, all that uh, word salad that I just did into some sort of question. How do you feel about the, the English words that came out of my mouth in the last 60 seconds? <laughs> well, good job. I read the articles. I know exactly what you meant. Thanks, please. So, like, uh, <laughs> and so basically I think checks, right? I don't, you know, the, the Chelsea team that he was part of, they couldn't afford to draw because they were trying to win leagues, right? So draws did hurt. Arsenal are just trying to be at the top end of the game. And I do think there's a, there's been a level of we we play well when we really have to. And I and, and Czech pointed that out. In the last three or four years, we've been a cup team. And when it really counts, we can drag out the performance, right? But there are some games we don't show. And we didn't West Ham away this year. I'm still trying to explain that to myself. What happened there? You know, literally blown off the park. You know, so where does that come from? That can't be allowed to happen in a in a top elite football club. And I think we need to. There's a level of play when you like. You know when, you no, know, you know you wanted. Um, we spoke many times about the Europa League and some of those early rounds not having the youngsters play, etc. And I sort of alluded that I felt Emery wanted to just get everyone together. I think it's quite interesting. He raised in one of the interviews, he said, some players did not want to play in the Europa League. So I, I, I basically told them, you don't play when you like, you play when I like. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what we need to see. Because there was an element of, 
there was two squads. Some players played when they like, and other players knew when they were going to be playing. And the, the younger ones and the fringe players are the ones going to Eastern Europe on the rubbish trips in midweek. Right? And then we hoped that our rested team would play well on the Sunday, and they didn't. Right? So there was a culture of, well, I don't want to play in these games. So what Emery did by picking that first team squad was saying, I decide when you play, not you. And that's a culture change. And this is what we need to support him on. Because in the short term, that's what he needs to do. He needs to build a culture where every single week means something. Every game. Mm. Not some games. Every game. But that's, you know, the last two years, our way record is shocking for a club like Arsenal. You can't just turn up and not play. And this is what we've been doing. And we and it's become the norm. No, that's got to change. And I'm going to change it. And if you don't like it, you're going to go. And it's going to be so interesting to see who goes. Because those people, that are, the play when you like people, need to be gone. Really yeah. need to be gone. I'm not worried about that for Baku. I'm not worried about that at all. If they do it in front of the whole of Europe, they, they, <laughs> they better clear out their lockers pretty quick because there'll be a lot of you know, people waiting to, to give them some stick. If we lose in, in Baku, let's make it because we were outplayed, not because we didn't play. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really well important. Yeah. All right. So here's my final thing that I wanted to touch on now that I have control of my faculties again. Um, <laughs> you know, there are rumors that uh, there is a Middle Eastern group looking to acquire Newcastle, oh. potentially. And yeah. uh, we know that there's money flowing into Wolves now and money flowing into Everton. And obviously, we know what's going on at City. Um, there had been some discussion of a takeover at Leeds, too, I think, by the PSG group. Um, QSI, is that what it's called? So Yeah. And Tottenham are, Tottenham are prime for a takeover now. Prime for They've a takeover, the, but even the, still, you know, have, have the stadium capacity now to sort of rival um, match day revenues of some of the other traditionally big clubs. My question for you, and, and it's one that I don't want you to do 10 minutes on, just a sort of quick overview. Mm. Where do you think the future, what do you think the future holds for Arsenal in terms of our place at the big table, our, our seat, our ability to stay among the biggest clubs in England and indeed the biggest clubs in Europe, given that, you know, we sit in this weird situation right now where we are loosely at or around the top four and certainly top six clubs in England, that we've had a few years away from the Champions League, that there are smaller teams now starting to reap the investments that we've seen totally transform clubs like Chelsea and City. Is this a precarious time for Arsenal in terms of where we could be a few years from now if one or two other clubs wind up with the kind of funding that we've seen transform other clubs in the past? It is a precarious time, and the Premier League is where it's at. It's the most watched league, so the TV revenues are only going to get bigger, especially the global TV revenues. And so everyone wants a piece of the pie. They don't want to spend billions on the big clubs. If they can buy a club like Newcastle for $350 million, that makes a lot of sense. I think City, they bought for $200 million. He didn't even register a, a, a headline in, 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 in um, Abu Dhabi. He didn't register, right? So, so basically, that's nothing. That's chump change. And look what they've done with the investment, right? So I think it is a real issue for us, but not just us. And this, I think, for all of the teams. I think the Premier League is a massive threat to all of Europe. And it's interesting to see what the Real Madrid guy said about Man City. And I think the rest of Europe is really concerned because Spain, for example, without Messi, who's watching that league? You know, who's watching it? Italy, it's been a dead league for a while. Ronaldo's gone there, but there is a level of investment. There is a level of TV revenue. Um, 
in England, we see France as a talent bed to bring more players over to the Premier League. The, and I heard something afraid today, which I thought was really interesting. The Premier League could end up being almost like the NBA to be that one league that's so good that everyone else is an offshoot of that league. Mm. Now, that could be that could be being a bit dramatic given the TV revenues of Real Madrid and Barcelona and their pure size and, and dimension. But what it could lead to, Elliot, and it could lead to this, and that is moving towards a Super League to protect against exactly what you just said, to protect against the Leeds and the Newcastles. People don't want another Man City coming out of nowhere and, and having the, the biggest wage bill in the world. They don't want that. Right, so it's going to be a real challenge for the big superpowers in Italy, Spain. They're going to be pushing for a Super League so they can control their own destiny. Because if we shut out the European competitions continually like we have done in the past, that will have a massive impact to the Real Madrid, to Juventus, to Bayern Munich, who are all going through a rebuild because they're quite aged, because they've blown a lot of money on, bought, on poor buys. And the Premier League is looking smart. They've got smart coaches and they've got more money. And I think it's going to head all towards the Super League, mate. Yeah, I mean, look, and competitiveness is what we care about. But if you are looking, you know, at the Deloitte money list or rich list or whatever the hell they, they name it, I think we're still, what, eight, seven, nine, thereabouts? Yeah, eighth. I think Spurs are just behind us, but they won't be for much longer. Well, right. More of the story, though, I'm saying, you know, if something like a European Super League were to come about, we're still one of the teams that would be in we'll it. Be in. Not that that's what yeah. anybody's crossing their fingers for. I think as far as our, our standing in the game where the power brokers are concerned is still pretty big. Whether our standing in the game competitively is equally large, you know, that that could be revised over the coming seasons, and we'll... We'll see what happens. And you know, Newcastle getting the kind of investment that's being suggested, well, that's that's unpleasant. <laughs> I don't yes. think any of us are looking forward to that. So enough of that. Look, the uh, the big news is the football. We'll be back with a post-match podcast, obviously, and then tons of transfer stuff. Uh, Clive, in particular, has some Patreon transfer content lined up. We're also going to get uh, a little word from Tim Stillman out in Baku over on Patreon before the game, so you don't want to miss that. So if you haven't signed up for Patreon, good time to do it, because this summer we're going to have a lot of uh, fun transfer stuff there, plus a, uh, a bunch of special guests that, that we're excited to have involved. Having said that, of course, we will still do some stuff on the regular feed as well. So if Patreon's not for you, can't do it, don't want to do it, totally understand. We should have some great podcasts for you. So we're going to take a break. Scott's going to come back with sort of a quick statistical look at the match tomorrow, the uh, the big cup final that is happening just a scant several weeks after the season ended. And uh, yeah, and then we'll all cross our fingers and hope for the best tomorrow. So in any event, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. You bet. Uh, all right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with Scott right after this. Stay with us. All right, we're back, and now I have Scott with us to give us the statistical look at the match, um, what we can expect to happen as the uh, as the model puts it. This model, of course, is inside a spreadsheet in his computer, uh, not on the pages of a magazine, but it is still, hopefully, just as attractive and alluring because hopefully it says that we'll win this game. Scott's on Twitter, O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Woohoo! Yeah! Did you think you were Paul for a second there? I was, I was for a second. To, I, I, it's been so long since I've been on that I forgot my, you know, my signature, signature move. move. It's the same one you do on YouTube, man. If you haven't seen it, Scott and I have been doing uh, YouTube videos on 
YouTube. <laughs> and uh, they go. do a lot of fun. Yeah. We've been doing them live, but then they, they live there, so you can go check those out. The last one we did had a lot of transfer stuff on it, so if you're jonesing for some of that before the, the season is even properly done, you can. Scott, let's dive right in. Um, I guess the easiest way to get started is just to say, what does your model have for an outcome of this one? Yeah, so I have uh, Arsenal with a, a 47.5% chance to win. So, I, I, you know, it's as good as 50-50, just about. I'm going to say it's 50-50. So it's just- essentially a coin toss according to the model. Let me ask you this. What are the factors that it takes into place for a matchup like this? Are you Is that pulling performances from pr- predominantly the Premier League? What, what does it take into consideration in arriving at that statistic? Uh, so for this one, it does take into account the Premier League and the Europa League. Um, so this one, there's no home field advantage because it's going to be at a, a neutral site. It's about um, as I, neutral a site as you can get, I would say. Well, exactly. yeah, technically it's, it's not because be one of our players there. can't attend it. But yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, it's going to be almost a behind closed door. I mean, it'll be interesting how much of that stadium is actually going to be filled um, when they kick off tomorrow. Um, yeah, so then, you know, it'll take it. I don't have any um, injury adjustments in here. Um, I do find that that can be a little bit harder to kind of figure out. There is a slight adjustment for form um, based at looking at the, the last 10 matches overall, um, just to try to capture if there's been anything that's changed over, you know, a little bit shorter period of time over, you know, a full season's, uh, you know, data. Um, so that's, yeah, those are the kind of the, the big factors that go into it. Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, you know, in regular time, um, you know, I expect Chelsea to win about, you know, just under 40 percent, Arsenal 35. So there's a, a pretty good chance, I think, of extra time in this Yikes. match because these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting one. What Everything percentage gets, of the outcome great. is just just settle my nerves right now. What percentage of the outcome likelihood is to be on penalties? I have it a six percent chance to, to go to penalties. Six percent chance of penalties. OK, Um that does my head in. Cannot have that. So, all right. So you have us as basically a coin toss. What about goal goal probability? Do you have sort of a, a spread on what your model expects in terms of goal scored? Yeah. So both teams are expected to score. Um, you know, not scoring. Um, Arsenal. You know, they they score eighty percent of the time. Chelsea score. You know, what is that? Uh, eighty or seventy? Or sorry, a little bit more than that. Um, that's about ninety-five uh, percent of the time or so. Wow. Actually, that's a little bit less. I can't do math today. It's a good thing I'm a math person. Good, good thing. <laughs> uh, about 85% of the time, Chelsea score. 80% of the time, Arsenal score. So I do expect goals in this one. Um, most of them, it's pretty bunched together because I do rate the teams uh, slightly or pretty close to even. Um, Chelsea might be a little bit, um, you know, on the, they have a little bit higher variability, can possibly score a few more. But, so is the highest uh, probabilistic like outcome 1-1? One, one, one. Two, two. Yeah. yeah, those ones are the, the two highest outcomes. Okay, so... Let's let's go back for a second. We beat Chelsea pretty comfortably at home 2-0 um, in the Premier League. And I'm curious if we can take anything away from that performance in the XG in that game and how that game played out. Were we as dominant in underlying metrics the last time we played Chelsea? And when you look at that game, you know, that was in a back four. We played with the diamond in midfield um, with the two strikers up top. Is there anything from that game that you can extrapolate in terms of how it, it might impact uh, the final? Uh, it's it's a little bit tough because you know Arsenal that was when they had Ramsey 
Um, you know, they still were able to play a back four without, you know, things. So it's a little bit harder because yeah, that last one happened in January. So that's, you know, a good five months ago um, from now. Um, you know, I guess you can take, you know, uh, solace in that in both matches Arsenal played, they actually did, you know, outperform on um, XG Chelsea. So even in the, the very second match of the season, um, Arsenal did out G them in that match, even though they could not, uh, you know, get the actual win in that one. So mm. I think that this is a, a team that Arsenal matches up well against um, because Arsenal do have the ability to um, hit on the break as well as, you know, kind of be comfortable in possession. Um, you know, they can do that against Chelsea who want to play so, you know, much with the ball and will push players forward and leaving space. So I think it's going to be um, interesting how Chelsea um, actually kind of deal with Arsenal instead of kind of the other way around. Um, I think they have big questions if they're going to start, you know, say Alonso or it's going to be, uh, is it Ederson? Um, Emerson, is that, is that right? Emerson, yeah, Emerson. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to see if they do that. Um, and I, I, Yeah, because I think that that that'll be a big spot for Arsenal to be able to attack because you know they don't have uh, Rüdiger, um, who I think is a, a very good defender. So it's going to be David Luiz. It looks like he is out. I oh, wow. think it's okay. definitely yeah. That's what the the news looks like. So it looks like yeah, Rüdiger, uh, Hudson Odoi, uh, Loftus Cheek, Conte um, are all out. You know, Conte is questionable. So I, I bet that he it looks like to be out. That's the last news I think I saw on so that will one. They, will they go with a the back four then? Probably. So I think yeah, you'll see either, you know, Alonzo or Emerson, uh, Louise, Christensen, Aspilicueta. Jeez. And I mean, Louise is a very good defender in a back three, but he he can be taken advantage of in a back four, I would think. He, he can, I think. He he's very he's kind of Mustafi ish in that he Exactly, yep. Yeah, he, he will do a lot of things, and if they come off, they are amazing. Um, I think he's a much better passer than Mustafi, but I think he has the the brain-dead kind of decisions in him that can kind of, um, you know, strike from time to time. Um, I think he might be – I'd rather have Louise over, you know, Mustafi personally, but oh, yes, he could definitely course. be a person that um, can be taken advantage of, yes. How about us? Do you Do you think we'll start with the back three? I think so. So I think that's definitely going to be the way they go. Um, I guess it is kind of the decision on is it going to be Monreal back there? Probably. I think it's going to be Socrates, Koscielny, Monreal. What do you think? I mean, I think you know I don't want Mr. Back on top on the pitch. Um, <laughs> I'm inclined to think that there's a, a better chance he goes with the back four than most people are saying because he did it in the home game that we beat them in. And I thought we looked good in that game. We played the diamond in midfield. But you think the absence of Ramsey makes that a harder proposition this time? Yeah, and especially because you know because Mkhitaryan can't travel. I think he's probably the person in the squad who could probably do that uh, Ramsey role the best. Um, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if it was something like that four four two diamond because you know I think you might see one of the midfielders really um, you know keying on Jorginho um, to try to to mark him out of the game. So I don't know um, if is that know, strategy is important with Kovacic next to him since that's another player that's comfortable on the ball and can distribute. It'll be interesting because you know Kovacic has been pushed further forward, um, so he hasn't been tasked with advancing as much of the ball, doing the ball progression work um, that has fallen um, heavily on Jorginho. And I think that's been kind of one of the things that's been um, interesting with how they've played uh, Conte this season is that um, he's been pushed further forward and he hasn't been able to be his, you know, world-class, you know, defensive midfielder. He's just been a very good, you know, central midfielder. So that'll be interesting. I think it'll probably see him pushed forward um, 
you know, and probably, I guess if, you know, they, they mark Jorginho out of the role, I mean, he is definitely capable of doing the ball progression, but I don't think that's going to be the, the starting ask of him. I don't think anybody underrates Conte and how good he is. What I'm curious to get your impression of is how good he's been against us. And if him being out is as big a boost to us as some people think, or do you think that maybe, um, you know, going with Kovacic and Jorginho could have its own benefits. I mean, how how big do you think the Conte absence is in this particular game? I, I think it is big because I, I think, in, yeah, I don't think that Chelsea have necessarily played Conte in his best role, but even as a, a more advanced midfielder on the right, he has been very good. Um, he really helps them to do, uh, you know, pressing to win that ball back as quickly as possible. Um, if you, you know, do beat that initial line of press, he is not there to mop up things and really help. Um, but I think that still is something that he is still so good at. Um, he's actually, I think, an underrated passer because, you know, you see a guy who is, you know, putting up monster defensive numbers and you kind of, you know, don't associate that with a guy that can, you know, has technical ability. But um, I think he is a very good technical player. Um, he's not a dribbler, but I think he's very comfortable on the ball. He's not a guy that, you know, you, you press and he is going to panic. I think he's a, a big miss for Chelsea. Um, and it's something that I think Arsenal are, are fortunate to, you know, miss him in this match. Great. I'll take it. Look, we haven't talked about this, so I'll, I'll give you a shot at it. It's been talked about a lot on this podcast and in general, but uh, we haven't had your take on it. The Czech-Leno thing. I presume Czech is going to start. Let's assume that for a second. I assume that. But my question to you is, is how how big a drop-off is that? Like, if you were to do the model with Leno starting versus Czech starting, do you see a noticeable difference in outcomes? Do you have any feeling on how much of a percentage swing in, in outcome this this is in terms of uh, when you run the the simulations? Like, what what are we really losing both qualitatively and quantitatively, in terms of uh, checks starting over Leno. Yeah, I don't know if that's an answer that you can necessarily, or at least that I can answer with, you know, running a simulation because this is something that you really kind of get into um, all the different things that um, kind of work together into a soccer match um, that are not easy to get. Um, you know, he probably is a downgrade in his um, ability to build out from the back, so that will kind of change a little bit of what Arsenal do. Um, but if Arsenal are going to be playing on the counter, um, you know, playing primarily long balls into the channels, does does it really hurt that much? Maybe it's a you know a, a slight downgrade um, because Arsenal aren't going to be looking to play that way. Um, I guess you also kind of have a, an idea of he might be better, um, you know, going out and claiming balls. So maybe you know with you know is it going to be Giroud um, that's playing? You know maybe that is going to be something that's more what Chelsea try to do is play balls into Giroud. Um, so maybe that's slightly better. Um, I do think that Leno has been a better shot stopper. So, um, you know, that's probably uh, an overall, you know, downgrade going to check, but it's not a, a massive difference. You know, you've seen, you know, check actually uh, rate fairly well um, this season for me, at least in, in my model. So I think you might be talking about, um, you know, maybe somewhere between, you know, a 0% swing and a 5% swing. I, I don't think it's massive. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that's, you know, a, a marginal kind of thing, not something that you throw away willy nilly. But I don't think it's a end of the world kind of a thing. Um, and I don't think that the check is going to have any sorts of, uh, you know, not playing his best or not trying his hardest. I think that he is definitely a, a very good professional. Whatever is going on afterwards with Chelsea, you know, that he's going to be able to put that out for this match. Um, personally, I still wouldn't start him, but I I'm kind of accepted that it's going to happen. How big a deal is it for you? I mean, do, do you 
do you think this is the kind of thing that can swing a match, or do you think that the anxiety and discussion over it is out- outweighs the the actual impact on the match? Well, I mean, it certainly can outweigh a match because you know anything a, a goalkeeper does is hugely magnified. If he makes an error, um, it almost always will lead to a very good opportunity. So, if if there is some sort of an error, it's going to be a talking point. Um, I don't know if you know before the match how much you can say that it's going to be an issue. Um, to me, I would rather not have to worry about it and you know start you know my guy that I've had as my number one. You know, you're in a final. There's a ton on the line for Arsenal right now. Um, I don't know why you would you know purposefully go out and make your team weaker um, playing your number two starter or your number two keeper. Well, I mean, other than just the fact that you promised it to him and you feel obligated, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's tough, but you know, you can also kind of go through and say. You know, you know, Petter, we appreciate everything you've done for us. This is a, a final. You are number two. You know, I, I'm sorry. And, you know, the, the club doesn't necessarily owe him anything in the long run. You know, it's a it's a tough business. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough business to podcast about, too. Let me tell you. Um, so since that's what we're doing, give me your lineup for Arsenal for tomorrow. Um, I, I think it's going to be probably like, you know, the, the three, four, three kind of a thing going on. So I think you're going to get a uh, check and goal, Socrates, Koscielny, Monreal. Um, and then in midfield, you'll have Maitland Niles and Kolasinac as the wingbacks. And I think it's going to be uh, Xhaka Torreira. Um, I think that's probably going to be the best. I think you're going to see Torreira kind of look to key on Jorginho. Um, I think you're going to have Ozil in front of them. Um, you know, so I think you have uh, Xhaka Ozil to be able to kind of spring the the counterattack. And then I think it's going to be Obama Yang uh, Lacazette. Um, I do worry that that's not going to be enough attacking. But I'm hoping you know what we we saw. You know, in the the semifinals where you know both of them really kind of stepped it up and they were the difference makers. So I'm, you know, you got to go with them again. I think, and then, you know, maybe Danny Welbeck is there if we need a goal late. Um, yeah, so that bench is not going to be the strongest bench Arsenal has ever put out. But benefiting from the fact that theirs probably won't be either, just in the sense of a lot of players that aren't available for them. Safe to say. Yeah, so I mean, I think Chelsea, you know, are hurting a lot too. They have a, a number of you know players that are out. You know, uh, Loftus Cheek has actually been a player that's really come into it, um, especially over the last um, half of the season. Um, they definitely do not have a you know a striker that they you know feel super comfortable with. So it's either going to be Giroud or Higuain, um, and then you know they have you know William or Pedro out on the right, which again you know they're not great options for them, especially for the way that they want to play. So um, I think this is going to be a very even match, and I hope it ends with Arsenal lifting the trophy. Yeah, me too. Turns out that that would be great. Uh, by the way, if it went to penalties, would you and do you think you will change goalkeepers for the shootout? I mean, I guess it really kind of depends on, you know, how everything goes in extra time. I think if you get to, you know, the, the 25th minute of extra time, I I probably would do it. I'd pull the trigger. You would do it. You would swap him out. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, just, he's yeah. just so, so bad at saving penalties. I, I, I mean, it's just I have no confidence in him saving something. You would have to, you know, bet on Chelsea, you know, missing a penalty, not having one saved. One other thing, just before we start to wrap up here, I, as far as the pattern of play, you know, you talked about it will it be enough attack. The thing that worries has worried me in the past with the back three is the the attack getting sort of cut off in the midfield. Ozil having to drop really deep to collect. You know, 
even in the game we won at home, I think we had 35% possession. Do you see this being a game? And I, sim- I think a lot of that, though, was, you know, skewed game, by game the state. second, mm-hmm. yeah, yep, the second half where Arsenal really sat back and didn't need, they just controlled the ball, you know, you know, they controlled the game out of possession really well in that match. That was one of the, the few times, I think, this season that they actually looked like when they're in their mid to low block and they really did control the ball and not let Chelsea do anything dangerous. So um, I think and you looked at the first half, I think it was like, you know, maybe like a, a closer to 40% possession. So it, it wasn't a massive you know, Okay, difference. well, so I guess it still leads into my question, though. Do you expect this being another game where we don't see a lot of the ball and that most of what we create is through pressing or, or transition? Yeah, I do. I think it'll probably be, you know, as long as the game stays pretty even, I think it'll probably be probably closer to 60-40 with uh, Chelsea with uh, more of the ball. Okay. Well, I'm sufficiently nervous. How about you? Uh, yeah, I've been getting nervous, you know, a little bit more each day. I mean, how big do you feel this is for Emery? Do you think, and, and again, I mean, I think the likelihood of this is 5% or less regardless, but if we were to lose this game, do you still think there's a situation where Emery might not be Arsenal manager next season? Uh, I really don't. Um it seems like that everything is going into the planning for next season that with him as the the guy there doesn't really seem to be any sorts of i mean they'd have to be like a massive like he just you know goes there lays a giant egg he goes and you know gets in a fight with all of our players and does something absolutely stupid to to get himself fired so I, yeah 97% of the way he's he's coming back okay yeah i i agree and i'm fine with that i would say um you know the the issue for me is just that if we are a Europa League team again next season, you know, I don't know, are you going to attract someone better than Emery? And again, not knocking Emery, but I don't know that you are. And if you're a Champions League team next season, you kind of owe it to Emery to some extent to, to give him the one more season. So I think either way we're sticking with him. And listening to the Raul and Vinay interview, it certainly doesn't sound like a, a group of, you know, bosses that are thinking about changing managers. So, I you know, I think he's Exactly, around. yeah. I think they're probably going to look for another six months, yeah. you know, um, to kind of what things are doing let me ask this just real quick if you have it in front of you if you don't know big deal do you have any kind of models that you've worked up on i I am told that there's another football game at the weekend i have been trying to swerve it and avoid it and avoid any discussion of it but it is happening and uh we do sort of have a vested interest in it i was curious if you have any early statistical looks at the odds on that one just so we know how suitably petrified to be let's see i did look it up let me see if i still have it yeah uh, you bet because i mean look i think whatever happens tomorrow it is interesting. I think the Guardian ran, was it the Guardian? Someone ran an article. Actually, yeah. Tim was quoted in it. Clive was quoted in it about, would you rather, you know, win uh, the Europa League but have Spurs win the Champions League or lose the Europa League but Spurs lose in the Champions League? And, and you know, I, I know Tim for uh, for certain said he'd rather lose than lose. And without sort of relitigating which you'd prefer, because we've talked about it on this podcast before, there are there's an argument to be made that the, the, the game at the weekend is as big for Arsenal fans as the game tomorrow. So, I mean, do you see that as tilting heavily in Liverpool's favor? Um, yeah, I do. I think I have it uh, about 70% to uh, you know Liverpool here. So it's uh, something that I really do expect them to do, uh, and I, I really hope it's a, an absolute battering. Okay, I'll take it. I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, f- quickly, actually, your score prediction for the final, for our final. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be uh, 2-2 at the end of regular time and Arsenal win uh, with a, a third goal in extra time. So you think 3-2 to the Arsenal? 3-2 to the Arsenal. You want to hear the funny thing? I yes. predicted the same thing in the first section with Clive. <laughs>
in the exact, the exact same in the exact same right. way. Two two at full time, three two after extra time. Yeah, and I'll be you know crapping myself the entire time. Yeah, I mean, I do that on the best of days. So, you know, it'll just be a day that ends in Y for me. Scott's on Twitter. Oh, underscore that underscore crap. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. Indeed. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review right now. things about Paul and Tim in the comments. It's on. Cup final. Chance to get in the Champions League. Chance to hoist a European Cup. We're going to be champions of Europa. You'll never sing that. So, it's all online. We're very excited. We're definitely going to do a podcast after the game, whatever happens, but hopefully we're going to be in drunken glee. I hope you enjoy it wherever you are, whether you're in Baku, whether you're in London, Rome, South Africa, the United States, Asia, uh, the North Pole, Scandinavia, India, Thailand, wherever you are, all over the world, all kinds of people of all different shapes, sizes, color, creed. I hope you are excited to watch the Arsenal win a European Cup. It is going to be a a wonderful day. We can't wait for it. Uh, And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Chelsea Nils. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.